Welcome to The Office, everyone. I'm Andrew DeLula. I'm Christian Liestrom. We are Amusing Council. And today, we're talking about sex. Oh, nice! Specifically, we're talking about uh, consent. How to uh, consent to sexual activity, and uh, how, to know you, how to know if you uh, receive consent, and what to do if you don't have it. As with uh, so many other topics that we've been talking about recently, this one is inspired by current events. Uh, we think it's topical, interesting. Uh, hope you enjoy it. We really enjoy doing this podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoy listening. Until next time. Thanks, folks. Okay, so um, you ever heard that like uh, that old curse? May you live in interesting times. Ah, uh, yes. That one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I guess that's one of the uh, one of the things about living under the uh, the current PCPO government. <laughs> it's certainly an they interesting are, time in Ontario. There's so many things to talk about. Like you've got the the feud. I, I suppose the embers of the feud. The city of Toronto. You've got uh, the Ministry of the Environment just coming out. Oh, right. This week. Like uh, blasting the uh, lack of climate action, the, court, got the, the budget court, kabuki yeah. that's going on. Right, I completely forgot about this insane like, new budget fight. I, uh, I I think it's the weakest uh, covered his bare performance that any incoming government has ever done. But anyway, there's so much to unpack. But one of the things that's kind of like fallen to the wayside, which I think is actually um, really important is the uh, direct action by high school students yes. in the province of Ontario uh, protesting their uh, sort of uh, interim sex ed uh, curriculum. Right. It sort of sneaks up on you as an adult, I guess, that uh, the school year has to continue apace, even if issues germane to that school year maybe haven't been resolved. But here we are. We're recording this towards the end of September, and school's been going on, and one of the party platform planks for the election was we're going to get rid of the new sex ed curriculum. Yeah. And, you know, to their credit, they did campaign on this. So unlike the whole city of Toronto thing, people <laughs> knew it was coming. Right. But it's still just such a weird thing to have happen because it's not even entirely uh, like it's, it's unclear to me if when during the election, if they knew what they were scrapping when they said we were going to scrap the sex ed curriculum, because the new curriculum sort of grew out of like a whole process beginning back in 2010. Yeah. Right, 2010, the uh, McGinty Liberals said we're going to have some LGBT language in our sex ed curriculum. There was a backlash, so they removed it. So then a few years later, they started uh, in 2014. They started a series of public consultations. Yes, I and remember. They, this they went very to well. every school in the province, and they said to the parent-teacher committee, "Pick one of your, pick the parent you like the best, whichever parent you like from the school." And send them to us because we're going to ask them questions about what that parent thinks sex education should look like in the province. So they had 4,000 parents. They talked to 2,500 qualified uh, educators, mm -hmm. uh, sex educators, uh, both teachers and, and professionals. And then they talked to like hundreds of students as well to get their uh, feedback. And out of that came the 2015 sex ed curriculum. Right. Which was, uh, <laughs> well, it was a masterpiece of public consultation because it happened inside of a year. Um, but you know, then it was scrapped. Andrew, what you're not accounting for are the millions and millions of Ontarians folks who come up to Doug Ford every day and tell him that the sex ed curriculum needs to be tossed. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Of course I, I, it failed to neglect for the millions of imaginary people inside of Doug Ford's head. 
Uh, it's no, a mistake it's, we all make. It's, you can hardly be faulted on this it's one. A, it's, it was, no, I mean, that's not a man. I don't want to imply that. It was pure rhetoric. He, yeah. It's just his verbal tick. It's his sop to the, uh, the Tanya Granich Allen. Yeah, yeah. The, there's, no, there's, yeah. No, there's no mental illness. I shouldn't be implying that. The point is, that's his verbal tick. He, he thought that he'd been uh, told, he'd been given a mandate to scrap. It's okay. You can, call, you can call it a lie if you want. I won't, I won't disagree. But okay. Anyway, you, well, on. what I was going to say is it's kind of based on this whole history of public uh, uh, consultation and the fact that the things they were saying during the campaign were things like kids are going to learn about anal sex in grade four. Right. I, I just, looked at the curriculum. The curriculum was posted on the Ministry of Education's yeah. website. There's nothing about that in there under grade four. Yeah, but, but these were all these were all meant to be uh, sort of call outs to people who would never check up on it. Like, right. You know, like yeah, that's, it's, it's more of the a, truth what value. Do they call it virtue signaling. I, no, it's dog whistling. This is like oh, right, dog this whistling. Is, that's like the, the this the truth value of these statements was never even at forefront in his mind or right. or anybody at, at that echelon of the party. Honestly. Right, because of course, because I don't know. I mean, I think. I'm not even sure how many people have looked at the actual curriculum even now, um, but the only mention of uh, you know any kind of penetrative sex is mostly in uh, how to use uh, condoms and other forms of uh, safe sex apparatus right. to prevent the transmission of STIs mm-hmm. and prevent unintended pregnancy. At no point did they ever give was there was there ever like an instruction manual on how to you know, uh, operate the equipment right. or obtain well, pleasure well, from it. But this is, this is all, con, uh, you know, continuous with the lineage, the proud conservative lineage of calling out a so-called homosexual agenda. You know, they're in our schools are going to try and convert your kids. It's something that works on a certain kind of social conservative for whatever reason. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's that same kind of reasoning. Yeah. Okay. So I guess it, what it comes down to is it's kind of arguable how much of the, the campaign rhetoric was based in knowledge. Um, I would suggest none of the rhetoric was based in knowledge, but opinions can vary. Even saying that, I think you're being very charitable, but yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, so this is all the campaigns. It's actually kind of like ancient history. That yeah. was a, that was out of living memory. Almost. Like three months ago. My I God, who even remembers what Ontario was like before Doug Ford. <laughs> and yeah, so exactly. A couple of things happened in June. You have uh, a couple Doug, things happened. He said, burying the lead. Go Doug, on. Doug Ford won. Uh, and like one of the first things he did was scrap the curriculum and replaced it with nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Just a, a vague suggestion that they should go back to the curriculum that was first established in 1998. Yeah, which is a really weird thing because the 1998 curriculum is so old. Like the internet wasn't even really a thing. That's the like one, it existed, but yeah. it wasn't a thing in. It wasn't. It wasn't woven into the fabric of the lives of our youth the way that it is now. I have very clear memories of what my internet usage was like in 1998. Yeah, and it. As a high schooler, it, there is absolutely no universe in which that accords with like a teenager today and their understanding of what the internet is and does to them and with them. They've got their mobile phones. They've got yeah. all their interaction through well, the mobile phone. The apex of mobile phone technology was a BlackBerry. Like I'm not. When did the first uh, iPhone come the out? The first inter- the integrated like, fo- like 2005. I think I, undergrad for me was just ending when people finally all had you know cameras and email on their phones like 2005 so early early 2000s somewhere early mid 2003 somewhere around that's when smartphones and smartphones changed the game like we did it we did a uh, a podcast on sexting and cyberbullying that was episode 12 um and we talked about how basically the the entire game around um you know flirting and being online and cyberbullying it was changed by smartphones so to go back to a curriculum of like 1998 um it's clearly inadequate, right? Now, 
I should just make a little aside here a moment. This is a super sort of political topic that we're talking about. Yeah. But it is in in its core, I think it falls within the ambit of our podcast in that it is a legal issue. And we're going to get to the core nub legal issue of this new curriculum. Uh, if the folks will bear with us. So we're not just I, doing I, we're I not think, just doing campaigning polemics and stuff like that. Like that's like, not the legal just, the le- every, if you're worried. Everything is political, especially the law. I don't think there's any need to try and fight too hard to disentangle. This stuff is and this is root and stem. You know what? That's right? almost Oscar Wilde. Everything is political. Oh, it's everything like, is politics except for politics. Politics is about the law or something like that. To, right. to butcher the phrase. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um so go back to the 1998 curriculum and then something really weird happened. The, the teachers protested. The teachers are like, well, we can't go back to the 90, the 98 curriculum contains inaccuracies and falsehoods that are actually sort of, we can't teach kids right. these things because it'll make the kids unsafe. So we're going to use the 1998 curriculum as a starting base. We're going to throw out all the stuff that's wrong and mm-hmm. we're going to import the stuff on top of the mandated curriculum. That's correct. And this is probably going to come from the 2015 curriculum suggestion. Right. An ad hoc solution. Uh, to face the problems on the ground as the frontline workers. Which makes a great deal of sense. Sure. And then in response to that, we had sort of the first sort of, I would say, legal issue, which is the snitch line. Right. I don't, I'd actually forgotten about that too. Oh my God. That was the, a The Ford what a government disaster. instructed the ministry to set up a website and a hotline for people to call in and report teachers who were teaching something other than the 1998 curriculum. Now, this is, this is kind of your wheelhouse because I... <laughs> I want to know how much authority does the province actually have to enforce or discipline a member of the teachers college when they're teaching within the scope of uh, discretion they have inside of a curriculum? I mean, I, I don't think that they would have any, any ability to do so directly. What this would ultimately come down to, I think, um, the political solution would be to legislate some changes to the way that OCT, the Ontario College of Teachers, yes. operates. Um so, but what would that like? What would the what would the snitch line have done to inform that process? Was there any reason to do it aside from just intimidate people? I think that's really what it comes down to. Honestly, it's it's outside the strict ambit of the ministry to go to bypass OCT and try to discipline teachers like that. There was no intimation there'd be any kind of criminal offense. Uh, you know, it's not like they've there. There's just I, I don't I can't can, imagine. Can you think of any value it might have had? Like could the like could they have assembled? information about like what what could they have used that information for aside from nefarious ends i i really like I, the best they could have done is, is discard that information and just not pay attention to it i think yeah i think that's because they would have been in trouble well so was. much of this all of this is just signaling again right and, right. and by setting up a snitch line and, and putting up a you know bare bone skeleton of it what you're signaling to the social conservative base who think that that the new curriculum is in some way amoral or destructive to kids is just say to them, we're going to definitely visit consequences on people, whether or not, look. The consequences I, could never come. Well, what, well, what I was about to, to say was yeah. um, whether or not those consequences have even been contemplated. But knowing what I do about the way that this government has operated so far, they certainly haven't been they contemplated. Might, they might have tried to something. They might have tried to do something anyway. They might have tried without having given it any forethought. It's just, right. it's a complete mess, at, is the best way of putting it. Yeah, I, really weird situation. So there was actually an interesting, I don't know if you... Um, read the Beaverton at all. But, Occasionally, yeah. Okay, so the Beaverton suggested that the the website be flooded with um, sort of unhelpful reports. Yeah. Um, it's a similar wait, reaction. Wait, was it the Beaverton? I don't want to. Well, it's one of, one of these, Beaverton, one of the, Onion, one or... Of the, yeah. yeah, one of the parody news websites. Yeah. So the idea was like you could report the fact that your uh, 
defense against the dark arts teacher was uh, um, performing the forbidden Cruciatus curse in front of the children. It's all basically the same as what happened. You'll remember a number of years ago when the outgoing um, conservative government at the federal level introduced the barbaric cultural practices hotline. Right. right? That was um, Kelly Leach's. I don't remember. I, I I think that everybody... Oh, no, no. I think that might have been actually Steve from the PMO office itself. You know what? Whomever touched it, it's best that it's in the memory hole. But it was roundly uh, ridiculed because it's so nakedly the same thing, like a signaling soft to people right. who, who feel as though some othered community ought to be singled out. Because, you know, it was for, I don't even know if there was a clear idea of what it was specifically supposed to be preventing. Right. Like what, what is a barbaric practice? Arranged marriages. How how would you see a barbaric practice that wasn't also a crime? Yeah. That was a real problem. Right. Like why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you just call the police if you're seeing something that, like if you're seeing the phrase barbaric practice kind of implies it would be criminal as well. Right. And we have laws and police. Yeah. Uh, so it was why do you need a, a hotline? And so the reaction to that, I think, has, has been mapped over pretty directly to the way that this snitch line in Ontario has, was received. Okay. Um, right, roundly ridiculed and lots of people passing around jokey joke examples of thing, things that they should call in to report. Yeah. Um, like for the, well, for the barbaric cultural practice. All, all the Harry Potter stuff for the most recent one was just so funny to me. Well, for the, um, the, for the barbaric cultural practices hotline, there was a whole raft of people on Twitter who were saying we should call in to report the creation of a barbaric cultural practice hotline, (laughs) you know, sort of singling out uh, ethnic groups or whatever. But yeah, it's, um, this is well-trodden ground for people of a, of a certain, uh, section of the political spectrum in Canada. And it does not track very well with people who are outside of that. 10 to 15% of the electorate. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thankfully, nothing has really come of this snitch line. As far as I know, it's been, I mean, it's, it's active, but the uh, Tories are not pointing anyone's direct, like pointing anyone's attention to it or anything like that. It doesn't seem like anything's going to come out from it. Um, what did happen, though, uh, sort of in between the uh, the establishment of the snitch line and the, uh, the start of school was an interim curriculum was released. Mm-hmm. which took some parts of the 2015 suggested curriculum or the the curriculum that was suggested in 2015 to be taught this year. And You're some right, parts old, of the old new curriculum. Yeah, the old new curriculum. The new old it's curriculum. so hard to refer to these things now. <laughs> yeah. Like we're going to have to invent new conjugations. Uh, not a pun. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I completely missed it. You were always scot-free and you put my nose in it. I can't believe it. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, so they hybridized the 98 and the 2015 curriculums. And I mean, it's, I've read it. I've looked at the differences or I've looked at it and I've compared it to the differences and it's, I mean, it's okay. Um, it makes some weird choices. Yeah. Like I haven't looked at it, obviously. Okay. So, so it makes some weird choices. Drop it some refu- knowledge on me. It refuses to teach kids the words penis and vagina. Early on. Uh, okay. They get, they, like, they don't even get. What do they suggest as nothing, an alternative? Just nothing. nothing. They, you don't, you don't teach them those words until they're significantly older than speaking age. Okay. Right. They just, you know, out sure. of sight, out of mind, I suppose. Sure. Okay. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird choice, but whatever. I mean, it's an uncomfortable thing to say. Uh, it makes some harmful choices. Like the curriculum wants teachers to teach that pornography is always bad at all times and can only cause harm. Now this is an active area of debate. There mm-hmm. are there is some good there is good information that our current age of internet enabled pornography causes some really bad psychological things to happen to people's understanding of their sexuality. Sure, but it is not 
it doesn't turn you into a pervert or a deviant. Absolute either. statements about uh, anything at a developmental age are pretty hard to justify. And there's enough room, there's enough room for disagreement on this point that I think it's probably wise to not yeah, kick the, that particular rock over. The 2015 curriculum was mostly taking a harm reduction approach. Like pornography teaches you some really weird twisted things about how humans interact sexually, yeah. but it does not make you a bad person kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and there, but so that's all gone. Right. Uh, it makes some confusing choices. Like there is uh, language in there saying uh, LGBT individuals uh, deserve to be free from harassment, mm-hmm. but it also advises teachers to just say, this is a tough thing to talk about. We're not going to tell you how to talk about it. So it's mm. like you, you can address LGBT issues, but we're not going to tell you how to do it. Just like be careful because you might step wrong. Oh, okay. Which so is a weird thing to put into a curriculum. What, yeah, like what you're gonna, okay. okay, teachers, be nervous. No yeah. guidelines. <laughs> also, there's a snitch line here. So if you step wrong, so it's, so there's some confusing choices it's like, in there. Uh, here's a care package for you, educators. Uh, why is it ticking? Pay it no mind. Yeah. Uh, there's some throwback choices in there. Like it just absolutely refuses to talk about masturbation. Like uh, I feel like, like that. This is like a pre-1998. Yeah. Wait. It, sexual wait. It, it refuses to speak about masturbation at any age. Yeah, I guess that on the theory that the kids are going to find out about one way or the other, but that seems like a pretty retrograde thing to do. Yeah, and uh, again, just the whole point of the the new curriculum was to remove any possible shame associated with the idea that you might have sexual urges. Right. But anyway, uh, it also makes some bizarre choices, like the sec the segments that uh, te- are supposed to teach kids about sexting or um, you know online relationships. Um, the consequences for doing sexting or being in an online relationship is that uh, you might lose a job in the future or the public might see your pictures. Those are the primary consequences it chooses to emphasize. Not that there's an emotional cost or that, or how to defend yourself against cyberbullying or, you know, the nature of online mediated relationships, just you might not be a lawyer in the future Mm. or you might not be a doctor in the future if somebody has your naked photos. Hmm. Which is a weird angle to take. When it is you're a teaching, bit strange. It's it's well, especially you're in high school age kids. Yeah. Well, right? I, yeah, I, I could. That's to- not their concern. <laughs> Probably not. It, that's I could definitely see that being like a first second year university. Like you now need to sit in this course and learn about what will happen to your job prospects because that, that's what we're here for. But my God, if you're in like a grade ten health class. You're that's, probably in an online mediated relationship of some and kind. It would be yeah. helpful to know how to resist the pressures well, of that. Well, as I was saying, yeah, a grade 10 individual almost certainly has a number of friends they mostly communicate with online. That's just the way the world world goes now. So it's a little bizarre to like emphasize those consequences. Like those are the consequences that would come up in, I'm thinking like if you're already an adult and your your personal intimate photos are leaked and you already have a job, Mm-hmm. Those are the, maybe those might be the primary consequences, but importing that onto a high school context is a little weird. Yeah. So it's, so, uh, but we won't talk too much about that because again, as I said, we do we did do a whole episode on sexting and cyberbullying from the sort of the uh, the genesis of it, like as mm-hmm. a as a legal concept. So uh, that's episode twelve again. We can talk about that stuff. We'll just go back to that one if you want to hear no, more about that. Um, but. I think one of the most harmful things that was taken out of the interim curriculum or taken out of the 2015 curriculum and not put into the interim curriculum is actually a legal thing. 
um, and it's the concept of consent. Right. Right. Um, and this is this is absolutely within the wheelhouse of a lawyer because the the concept of consent in the Ontario proposed sex ed curriculum was directly inspired by the history and definition of consent in a sexual context, starting from like the development of of it in our law. Right. Right. Consent like it, it, it comes directly out of there. Consent is a very important legal concept in in tort and in uh, criminal law. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just not mentioned at all. And I think that so much of the problem that's coming, so, much, so many of the problems that are coming up in sort of our Me Too era stem from the fact that the worst offenders completely ignore the idea that they might have consent and the gray area offenders are kind of very confused about what constitutes consent and how you obtain it, mm-hmm. right? So it's either complete rejection, which is super bad, or confusion, which leads to vaguely innocent mistakes, although we'll get into that, how it can't be completely innocent in a moment. But consent is super important, and it is a legal concept. So I thought maybe if the kids won't learn in school, they should learn it on the streets and or our podcast. <laughs> I'm sure we have a, a whole raft of uh, 8, 9, 10 grade listeners. Uh, yeah, shout yeah, to, yeah. Shout out to all you uh, really super hip kids who listen. Uh, is that the 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 adjective we want to use to describe them? Hip, I think perhaps. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, how are you doing, fellow youth? Let me rap with you about no. Okay. Um, no, well, I mean, okay, so maybe our listeners know a know a child. There is a child somewhere within their lives or a high school aged uh, youth, and this might help sure. at some point. Let's see. Um, so uh, again, just as a caveat, it's a criminal law topic. We aren't crim- active practicing right. criminal lawyers, but this is a, we're taking this from the perspective of like a person engaging with a problem of consent in like the context of a date or something. Like the point is not to really talk about the criminal consequences yeah. or like sexual assault charges, and more to let people know how like this law and concept of consent uh, has been used to form the curriculum. And if you can't get the curriculum, what were they going to learn? Right. Right. Okay. So um, let's do it. Okay. Okay. So consent by default is not present. Right. That's okay. Correct. Good podcast. Uh, thanks for coming. Okay. Well, let's, 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 okay. <laughs> you just left that hang in there and I didn't even bite at it. Yeah. Yeah. Consent exists as a defense uh, in a lot of uh, tort situations. But by default, it's not. There. But it doesn't you exist. We, we've been talking before about the concept of a legal test mm-hmm. where you go down the checklist of things that you have in, in order. So, for example, uh, you know, for, for torts, uh, the tort of battery, mm-hmm. right, which is where you actually physically put your hands on another person. Uh, I, one of the lo- best lines I heard in first year torts in law school was sex or a visit to the doctor are prima facie battery. Yeah. Once somebody else touches you like that, they've committed a battery. Then yeah. you, then yeah. that's so check that box. Yeah. Next box might be, did you consent to the battery in clear, unequivocal terms? Exactly. And once you have done that, that defense saves you from being guilty of the thing you definitely did do. Exactly. There you go. So, um, it's, I mean, it's at its core simple, but because we're talking about human relationships, it gets complicated. (laughs) But by default, the legal definition, consent is not present. Unless you're sure you've got consent, you don't have it. Right. You can't keep consent once it's given to you. It can be taken away from you at any time. It's slippery like jello. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you don't have it, the thing that was consented to must stop. Yes. Okay. So 
uh, one analogy is kind of, I mean, it's a little bit tongue in cheek, but one analogy is con the consent for uh, sexual activity is the exact same nature as consent to fight in a hockey game. Sure. Unless both people are consenting to the punching, one of them is committing a crime. Sure. Okay. And as soon as either of them stop consenting, the gloves have to go back on. Well, okay. Unfortunately, you've stepped into hockey here, so it's a, it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, hockey is my wheelhouse more so than yours. Uh, but but the, the general concept of the situation where physical touching is being exchanged, the, the consent has to have this ongoing character. Exactly. If and I went into a doctor's office and the doctor were giving me physical and they were, you know, putting their hand down my pants to make sure I didn't have any weird tumors, I could at any point say, please remove your hand from my, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the examples get a little bit fraught, which is kind of why I wanted to go into the fight okay. analogy. Um, cause otherwise you're, you're getting into like uh, trigger warning territory, but the idea is like you can, in certain contexts, you can consent to a kind of activity that you couldn't consent to another context. You can remove that consent at any time. And just because you consented in a hockey game doesn't mean you uh, can be said to have consented to a bar fight later. Right. Right. Yeah, okay. That now so, that's good. So all sorts of things are going on there. Uh, but the idea is, um, and it, it kind of makes sense that the idea of sexual consent would be built on the idea of like physical assault consent because the idea of a sexual assault is built on the idea of a, an underlying physical assault, right? right? That, that's the sexual content. Yeah, the crime that happened. I think that was a very good thing for the law to do to sort of lump all these physical transgressions more or less together because once you start separating out these strands, then you, what's the best way of putting this? It becomes difficult. All the all the individual situations that you're trying to differentiate and pull out mm -hmm. become more fraught individually, and people start looking for ways to export uh, a situation from one uh, defined area to another. Right. Yeah, trying to I sort see. of air quote get out on a technicality sort of situation. Yeah, and that's the one thing that just really can't happen, particularly in uh, sexual assault charges and questions about consent. There's no fooling yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, you you can't just there, there's no thing like implied consent. You can't coerce your way into getting reluctant consent or anything like that. You got to get the consent. This, this is actually, since we're talking about like uh, the sex ed curriculum and sort of like kids who want to learn about consent and who are now currently protesting for their right to learn about consent. Yeah. So these are kids who have never, arguably have never been in an opportunity, probably have never been in an opportunity to give or receive consent. Right. And so they have to ask themselves, how do I know if I've given or received consent? You got to get consent without coercion. Well, think about the operating assumptions behind the way that some of these laws sort of have changed over time, right? Mm -hmm. um, until shockingly, well, maybe not shockingly, but disappointingly recently in history, it was generally considered that uh, a married couple, there, that there couldn't be sexual assault, that consent was implied, right? Right. That, right. Uh, that yeah. And, and so, so you can but, imagine. I mean, even more so, there was a lot of consideration that most situations, um, a woman might find herself in consent would be implied. Right. Well, and I'm, I'm getting to the point now where if you have, for example, a couple of kids who are sort of exploring their sexuality as teenagers, mm -hmm. you'd hate for either one of them to be in a situation where they felt the fact that they were in a known social relationship where they were like yeah. boyfriend, girlfriend or something meant that they automatically owed each other some kind of consent. Yeah, that's absolutely not true. Right. Um, you got to get your consent without coercion. You don't, you got to do it with whining. There can't be any reluctance in the giving it. Uh, you can't have a power, a position of power over the other person. You can't use drugs of any kind. You can't be lying, and you can't just assume you have it. Like all the all those things. But that's that's really it. Like it just has yeah. to be clear and uh, enthusiastic consent. Now, what 
is often the the sort of snarky rejoinder. Oh well, I got I guess I have to get a contract signed. Well, no, you don't have to get it in writing. Uh, despite what some people will try and you know make you believe, you can still get clear nonverbal communication. But the key is it has to be clear. It has yeah. to be free from doubt. There's no such thing as implied consent or like, well, I'm not too sure, but she's not resisting or he's not resisting. Therefore, I'm just going to go for it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it doesn't have to be in writing, but it has to be clear. Yeah. So there, if if you've got that cloud of doubt or any any doubt in your mind, read the room. Walk your partner. Yeah. If you, you're unsure at all, stop and ask. Yeah. It's always up. It's always in your power to stop and see if they react with, "Why did you stop?" Yeah. Exactly. So if if it is, you know, but people get in trouble all the time yeah. for stuff like this. We talked about Me Too and we talked about the gray area. If consent is such an easy relatively easy concept why do people get in trouble like this and why do people end up in this gray area and i think the answer is that people are complicated (laughs) and they do you know they do complicated things yeah they're in complicated relationships your desires can often override your reason relationships are complicated sometimes what works for one couple doesn't work for another couple kind of thing and then there's that issue of like cultural hang-ups about sex and oh yeah that's you hear all the time asking for permission isn't sexy or if they're not complaining, that's enough. Uh, there's mythology about how sexual arousal is consent, even though those two things are not actually connected. <laughs> yeah. Um, so all of these sort of complicated things, mythologies and, and you know interpersonal relationships changing how you get this clear and enthusiastic consent. Uh, you know, the courts keep having to go back and clarify what is and isn't consent. And that's why having sex ed is so mm-hmm. good and important. Uh, so got to say, there's no hard and fast rule book about when consent is and isn't present, but it's principles, right? And I think it kind of comes down to a single concept, which is if you personally are doing something to manipulate the person or situation into getting sex, you're in a gray zone. You're definitely in the gray zone and you're heading towards the no go zone. Okay. It's fine to like, it's fine to engineer like a romantic situation, put down some rose petals, pop a bottle of champagne, hope one thing leads to another, but it's completely out of bounds to make that romantic situation and then make it lead, make one thing lead to another, right? Yeah. It's fine to, you know, initiate contact, but it's not fine to continue when they tell you to stop. Yeah. It's fine to initiate again after a little while if you think the situation's changed, but it's not fine to just keep persisting and escalating until the only two choices are, let it happen or, or reject violently. I would say in a, in my flippant way, don't coerce, entice. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Uh, it's fine to have a few drinks as a social lubricant, but it's never okay to use alcohol. Uh, yeah. I'm going to go into the, the I'm going to go into this party. I'm going to get this girl completely wasted three sheets to the wind. And then I'm going to make my move. That is predatory. <laughs> yeah. So all of the, so, you know, it, it's basically like you said, don't, uh, entice. Yeah. Right. the The idea is make the uh, make the concept of it so welcome and appealing that it happens. Yeah. Not not coerce somebody into uh, that. That's the situation there. If you want to yeah. know more about like the legal side of it, there's plenty of reported cases uh, laying out some really disturbing situations, but definitely clearly laying out what consent is and isn't. But also just try and have the happiest time you can out there, kids, uh, without <laughs> harming the other person. Right. I really don't think that anybody could argue with that advice to, uh, and I say kids to me, high school agent, uh, although that comes to my second concept, oh. my, my second topic, which is again, uh, in the spirit of replacing the sex ed curriculum, 
because we're talking about high school age students, possibly mm-hmm. a little bit younger, possibly a little bit older, which means we we have to think about the age of consent. Ah, uh, yes. Right now, the age of consent used to be like this this golden line. Uh, you you one day younger than sixteen, no way. One day older than sixteen, a okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and because of this whole thing where um, you know, people are complicated, relationships are complicated. Uh, this lack of sort of a gray area caught up a lot of people and made de facto sexual offenders out of people who are behaving in completely normal and socially acceptable ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, So down in the States, they're often called Romeo and Juliet laws. Yes, I've heard that term used before. It's for for young young people in relationships with one another. Yeah, so that, you know, a 15-year-old, depending on the state, like a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old could hold hands and kiss and stuff and not immediately have the 15 year old. Turn well, and even consent to more activity without yeah. that being statutory. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But the point, the point is we have similar uh, rules in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the gray area is between 12 and 16, right? Under 12, no way, never consent. Can't give it. Just doesn't happen. doesn't matter who with or how yep. you got to draw no a line consent you, under the age. Of 12. If you're going to have a, a gradient or a spectrum of consent, there has to be a baseline somewhere. Right. And we've put it at 12 years old over 16. They can consent as if they were an adult. It's in that uh, that area, 13, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're on the younger end of it, if you're on the younger end of it, 12, thir- over 12, 13, below 14, uh, somebody who is within two years of you, yep. older, two years older, mm-hmm. uh, you can consent with them. Provided that there is consent, all of the rules for consent that we've already talked about, plus there can't be a position of trust or dependency. Right, which is obviously so I mean, baby, going, babysitter relationship. Almost. Yes, that's uh, yeah, or that's or a camp counselor mm-hmm. kind of thing. Anything like that makes it super questionable. Yeah, power right? power relationships are one of the quickest ways to degrade uh, an atmosphere of trust and reliability between any two people when one of them is trying to get something from the other. Yeah, some something they want. Uh, you know, assistant coach situation, all sorts of things like yeah. that. Uh, the gap expands for a little bit for fourteen and fifteen year olds. Uh, it's a five year up to five years older. Or because 14-year-olds can get married uh, if you're married to the person you're consenting to. Right. So uh, age of consent is um, something that the kids will not be learning about in school. And it turns out that it's actually fairly germane. And yeah. This it, stuff it, is... It's germane. It's, it's technical. It's fact-based. And uh, it's going to be important to them because I don't know about you, but I wanted to date people in high school. Um. Well... I didn't really have a lot of chances at it. I'm not going to. Oh, okay. You're just making so me feel old we're... pains here, Andrew. No, no. I said I wanted to. I didn't say I did. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Then fine, fine. I really wanted to, man. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, but the point is like people end up in high school relationships. Sure they do. It happens all the time. Yep. Super normal. They're going to be, if you can't give them any information about when it's a crime and when it's not, they're just going to have all the sort of half-baked notions. It's a legitimate gap in knowledge that if we can remove it institutionally through the education system, it's kind of morally incumbent upon us to do so as a society. And it's good that you mentioned morals because a lot of the opposition as we go back to the very beginning of this podcast is based on morality. But this is not a moral argument. This is a fact-based definitional argument. Yeah. It says it's as content neutral as teaching someone how to use a stick shift. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, they can go off and they can drag race with the car now that once they've learned about what a stick shift is. But <laughs> more likely they're just gonna be able to drive the car like a regular person. Exactly. So that's that's why I think not having this is why my position, like there's all the weird and bizarre stuff in this interim curriculum that I commented on, I think the the worst part of it is just completely removing 
any curriculum mention of consent because it is as far from a moral uh it's as far from a moralistic thing to learn as you can get it's, yeah. it's legal and definitional it's, it's and such I a think bizarre it definitely choice. deserves to be belong in the the sex ed curriculum yeah um, one last thing to talk about for consent as a course is what happens when you're offside. Uh, if you don't have the consent you thought you had and you're charged mm-hmm. criminally, uh, the, uh, the, uh, crown has chosen to charge you with the criminal assault. Um, the, uh, the defenses are not exactly many, but they're fairly involved and this is not a criminal law podcast. Right. So we I don't want to go too much. That again I don't want to go too much into them, but I do want to say the defenses largely amount to an honest, mistaken belief. Uh, I love that phrase. That the yeah. facts are something other than what you, than yeah, uh, or it's an honest, mistaken belief that you were compliant. Yeah, you had consent. They were the proper age. All the rest of that. Honest, mistaken belief. You can't you can't fool yourself, and you can't pretend like you can fool others. So again, it all comes down to be open, be honest, be mm-hmm. clear, be direct, and be obvious. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, there are many excellent, excellent resources from practicing criminal law or practicing criminal defense lawyers all over uh, Ontario who would be more than happy to explain more about the criminal law context for consent. We just kind of wanted to talk about the uh, sort of the, the uh, curriculum side. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's really all I had to say about uh, consent. I think... Uh, I, I think we covered the bases fairly well. I think I'm going to say something else here too. I, 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 this sort of harkens back more to the opening third of what we've been talking about here, going back sort of like what the lives of these people are actually like, mm-hmm. the kids in the schools and yeah, yeah. the importance of all this stuff. Um, I'm just going to make a recommendation out there. Uh, I think it still man might be... Man who didn't date in high school. Oh, hey, okay, man. <laughs> don't don't pick at that wound or I'm going to jump across this table and throttle you. No, I'm going to... I think this movie might I be... I don't consent to it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, <laughs> there might... There, I think this is still in theaters. It's the Bo Burnham movie, um, Eighth Grade. Oh, yes. It's that's an been absolutely fabulous film and it touches on all of this stuff. And if you are like me or like Andrew and you're in your 30s, you maybe don't really know quite what it's like, but you have some idea in your head uh, of what, this, high school life of is what like it's now, like, you know, it's with this, be totally different. It, well, yeah, the, 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 the degree to which uh, the internet and mobile access to it has changed people's lives, young people's lives who are still developing, you know, mm-hmm. it's an, a really, it's seen, I, I wouldn't know, but it seems like a really honest uh, portrayal of it. And it's an absolutely fantastic movie. And I recommend that you uh, go, go pay money to see it at some point, you know, either at a theater or to buy it later. Cause it's absolutely, again, eighth grade, terrific eighth film. Grade. All right. Very cool. Well, uh, I think that's enough for this podcast. Uh, we'll be sure to be back with uh, more later on next week. Uh, special thanks to our producer, Michael. Uh, As always. doing this without him. And uh, thanks to you out there for listening. Uh, remember, you can leave a comment for us wherever you find us on the internet. Uh, SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, like us, share us, enjoy this, and all of our other fine podcasts. Thank you so much for sitting in with us, folks. <laughs>